Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Leaders are a vital part of God's plan for the church. Titus chapter 1 is all about godly leadership and what it means to live the good life that leads others back to Christ. An aspect of healthy church leadership is addressing falsehoods that arise and correcting those who have been fooled. Godly leaders cannot be content to allow God's word to be twisted for worldly gain. To live the good life, we must lead others to Christ and encourage them to lead others to Christ as well. Let's turn to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 15, and listen in now for your moment of truth. You know, when I was a young man, when I was going through preacher training and I was walking through with one of my mentors, he said to me, Matt, People will forgive a bad sermon every once in a while. They'll forgive that, but here's what they won't forgive. They won't forgive a pastor who doesn't love his sheep. A genuine pastor, a genuine shepherd is not focused on money. He's focused on loving the sheep that God has given him. And by God's grace, that's what I want to be. By God's grace, that's what our elders are going to be. And by God's grace, that's what you will be not for shameful gain. And notice he supports what he's saying by sort of an outrageous illustration in verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. He's not saying this is a legit prophet. What he's saying is it's one of their guys. They call him a prophet. A prophet of their own has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You might even look at this and say, oh my goodness, this guy's like reinforcing all the bad stereotypes of an entire people group. No, that's not exactly what's happening. A couple things to notice. What he's saying is he's calling out the false teachers. He's not saying all Cretans are this. What he's saying is that in this case, with these false teachers, it's true. It is true with these guys. And you could tear this statement apart. There's so much even logical fallacy here. Do you see it? A Cretan says that Cretans are liars. So are they liars or not? There's a, a logical fallacy there. We don't have time to get into that. But what he's saying is he's quoting a guy. His name was Epimenides. He was one of the seven Greek poets, seven Greek wise men of the age. And he said this, and he says, look, this is the basic translation of what he said. We have a lot of his writings. He said, liars ever, men of Crete. 
nasty beasts who love to eat. And that was just the picture of them. He's saying they're self-driven. They're all about themselves. He's saying this is sort of a bad environment and a bad people. There were a couple of really nasty ancient cities to live in. One of them was Corinth. Corinth was a city of sexual immorality. In fact, the word to be a Corinthian actually became a colloquial phrase to Corinthianize, right? And it meant to engage in sexual immorality. There was another word to Cretanize. Have you ever heard someone? Well, that guy's a Cretan. Well, it means that you're a liar. And that was the word in the ancient world. These were just two really bad cities, and we're to watch out for these types of people. That's the way that we're going to lead well. In fact, write down Romans 16, verse 17. Paul gives this instruction in another place in Romans 16. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Friends, what we need, if we're going to be God's kind of leader, we need watchful leaders. Leaders who see and assess and leaders who are carefully giving warning when something doesn't add up. We also need to do the dirty job of protection and we need to rescue fooled people. We need to recognize false teachers But second, we need to rescue fooled people. There will be people who come to us believing false doctrine who need rescuing to help them understand a biblical worldview. Maybe the worldview that they're holding is not distinctively biblical. We've got to help them. Notice Paul doesn't tell Titus, get on your ship and sail away from the island. Leave them to their own devices. He tells them to engage and call them out. You see, we need to be the kind of people who address false teaching and consider it our calling in life to rescue people. How do we do that? Two ways. First, you've got to teach strong, true, healthy doctrine. Notice in verse 9 of chapter 1 and in chapter 2, verse 1, we have a couple of bookends with the same term. Notice what he says here. He says in chapter 1, verse 9, exhort in sound doctrine. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. These are bookends around our passage as if to say the first defense is a good offense. You've got to give them sound doctrine. And that word is hygienic words. You've got to feed them a healthy appetite so that they will be able to come out of this healthy. And I think this for all of us really shows the importance of consuming God's Word. It's that you and I would wake up every day, put ourselves under the authority of this book, and become healthy. That's why here at Central Church, we emphasize the preaching of God's Word. We emphasize that the Bible is central. That's the only way that we're going to have discernment is if we're in God's Word. Whenever Christopher Columbus was stranded in Jamaica, he did something to take advantage of the islanders and get the supplies that he needed. He went to the islanders, and he he knew he had no supplies. But he said to them, folks, if you don't give me the supplies that I need, my God's going to cause the sunlight, or the light from the moon, I should say, to fade away. And he knew an eclipse was coming the next day. And so when that eclipse came, his ship was loaded down with all the supplies that he needed. Another guy tried that, an Englishman in the 1900s, and he tried it on a Sudanese chief. He went to the Sudan, and, and he said... Friends, vengeance is upon you, and the moon will lose its light if you don't give me the supplies that I need. And the chief's response was, sir, if you're talking about the lunar eclipse, 
that happens the day after tomorrow. And so you've got the date wrong. And he's just, he was, he had knowledge that empowered him to discern between deception. And so friends, if you and I are going to defeat deception, we have to embrace the Word of God. So we have to teach God's Word. I have to give you a diet of God's Word on a routine basis. We have to come back to this place and put ourselves under the Word of God. We have to daily create those patterns in our own life where we're giving the Word of God away to our family. Fathers are going to be washing your family in the Word of God on a daily basis. Memorizing Scripture, sitting under God's Word, you can do this. This is how we're going to get healthy. It's in the Word of God. And that's what this passage says. Second, I think we have to address the false teachers. You can't just let it go. Notice in verse 11, he says, they must be silenced. This is strong language. Oh my goodness, they've got to be silenced. Titus, do not give them a platform. Titus, do not let them teach a connect group class. Titus, do not let them continue in error. You've got to rebuke it. You've got to confront it. In fact, in verse 13, he goes even further. Look what he says. Rebuke them how? Sharply. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Doesn't that seem a little opposite of the fuzzy, warm Christianity that we have in our day where it's like, oh no, never call anyone out. Never address someone. You know, you got to sit down with them. And no, no, he says, rebuke them sharply. The word is to cut in the Greek. It's very strong language. This is serious, Titus. This is of massive importance, Titus. You can't get this wrong. You have got to address it and address it quick. This month at our Come Alive evening together, we had a great time, by the way. That was awesome. They had some bluegrass music, and that was just a great time. But at Come Alive, we had four ladies who had battled with breast cancer. And many of you know people who have gone through that. My mother recently had to have a pretty radical surgery because of breast cancer. I'm so thankful for the doctor who performed that surgery and the doctor who would not take no for an answer, but he said, Rick, Peggy, this is serious. This is growing out of control. This is life and death. We're going in. We're having the surgery in a couple weeks. I'm putting you on the calendar. Here are your two options. We're doing this. It's a good doctor. Amen? Why? Because cancer robs us of life. Because cancer destroys. And I want a doctor who's going to get serious with the truth. He's going to deal in truth, and he's not going to let things grow out of control. That is what leaders do. They address it. They silence it. They rebuke it. Like if my son is out running towards the road and a car is bearing down, I'm going to yell, Caleb, get out of there, son. I'm going to yell. I'm going to run. And if I have to, I will sprint and jump at him and lunge at him and hit him to get him out of the road so he doesn't get hit by a car. I'm not going to stay on the porch and say, oh, son, Son, I wonder if Thursday you'd have time on your calendar to talk about barriers. No, we're going to get serious. Why? Because it's serious. It's life and death. That's what a good leader does. What are some of the errors that we're to confront? Well, it's really in mathematical terms. First of all, there's addition. One of the errors that was happening was the addition of works to grace. And we see that in this passage. We see works to grace in verse 10. It says that there are those of the circumcision party. These are Jews who say you can't be a good Christian without being a good Jew. You got some works to do. In fact, going on to the next verse, over in verse 14, we're talking about people who are promoting the commands of people, the traditions, the commands of man. Law keeping. This is law keeping. 
If you want to be right with God, you've got to follow the rules. That's what they were saying. They're adding works to grace. That's false teaching. You see, Jews did this all the time. On the Sabbath, they had hundreds of rules. You can't spit in the dirt. You know why? You can spit on a rock and it's fine. But if you spit in the dirt, it makes mud. That's mortar. And you've just mixed mortar and you've been working. You're breaking the law. You can't eat a radish and dip it in salt on the Sabbath. You know why? Because you're pickling. And you might be pickling a radish and that's work. You can't do work on the Sabbath. And I, I don't know why they missed the solution, but just don't eat radish. They're terrible, right? Don't eat them. They're awful. There's all kinds of rules. You can't wear jewelry. Why? Because you're carrying around burdens, right? They added the law to grace. And I hate it, but some of you are bound up in that today. You're saying, God won't accept me unless I clean up. You're trying to earn God's acceptance. And what happens is people get on this endless treadmill of trying to earn favor with God by their works. That's false teaching from hell. Dear friends, God accepts you on the basis of Christ alone. There is no addition needed. And I want to say that loud and clear. He does not accept you based on your works, but on the work of Jesus Christ. That's what false teachers did. They added to the work of Christ. Number two, they subtracted. So there's addition, then there's subtraction. In the the gospel that they preached, they didn't preach the full gospel. In fact, they took a rabbit trail and they got away from Jesus. Notice here that they focused on Jewish myths. That's where they went. They didn't talk about Christ. They focused on other people. That's probably 1 Timothy 1.4. The endless myths and genealogies, the legends, the myths, the fables. Judaism had tons of these. Oh my goodness, I have a book on my shelf right now just full of these myths. One of them was that King Og, the giant, rode on top of Noah's Ark, right? And that's where the giant race came from. He was on the roof, hiding out on the ark, right? Other legends, all sorts of these crazy, weird legends. There was the one of Lilith, Adam's first wife, who became a demon or something like that. Really weird stuff. And what happens is they started preaching these these fables and these myths and these strange stories, and they neglected Christ. They got away from Christ. Many of you know that I'm a fan of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, If you don't know who that is, he was a preacher of London with a magnificent beard. Amen? I mean, this, this this guy was incredible. But one of the things I like about Spurgeon is he was just a little messed up. We all have our blind spots, don't we? Amen? It's okay. All right. So Spurgeon was a little messed up in several areas. He was a Baptist, but he had a smoking habit. Newspaper got a hold of it and just destroyed him because of it. His response to the newspaper was, if I could smoke two cigars at once, I would. <laughs> I'm not giving an um, advocation for tobacco. I've never, I've never had a, a cigarette. But what I am saying is that this guy was flawed. All right. He was a little flawed. He got a lot of stuff wrong. In fact, if you read his sermons, you'll see he sometimes misses the full point of the whole text. I've read a lot of his sermons, but I love him. You know why? He preached Christ. In fact, he said, my job as a pastor is to read the text, give the explanation, and make a beeline to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he evangelized the lost and he preached the gospel. And for that, I'm I'm incredibly grateful He preached Christ. These people are focusing on Jewish myths. And and isn't that what all false religion does? They focus on other people than Jesus. They focus on a Joseph Smith. They focus on a Muhammad. They focus on a Mary. And what do they do? They leave Jesus behind. What do we do? We rescue people. 
we bring them back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, that's where we have to go. We rescue fooled people and bring them back. You see, they're false teachers that add works to grace. They're false teachers who neglect Jesus Christ. And then one final element, they do some division. They divide. Verse 11, they upset whole families. They divide families. It's just the mathematics of false teachers. They, they add, they subtract, and they divide. That's who they are. We recognize them. We rescue them, sometimes by confronting them, by silencing them, by redeeming them. And then lastly, with the time we have left, one final point. We reveal false professions. This is God's kind of leader. He recognizes false preachers. He rescues fooled people, and He reveals false professions. This is where we'll have to bring it to a close today. I'm out of time. Verse 15 says, their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Notice there's this correlation between a profession and their works. That's the problem in the church today. Some people are trusting in their works. Some people are trusting in their profession. Some people are saying, well, I walked an aisle at VBS as a child. I'm good. Other people are just trying to be a good person. Like they're just trusting in their works, but really it's by their works, the very thing they're trusting in, that it's revealed that their profession is empty. That's the problem. These people are caught up in legalism. But in Mark 7, Jesus says, friends, what defiles a man is from the inside. It's not because whether or not you walked an aisle at one time in your life. It's not whether you're trying to be a good person. What defines you is whether you've been born again in your inner man. That's what matters. One of the most startling verses in all the Bible is Matthew 7, 22. It says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I, this word scares me. Doesn't it scare you? Many. I'm so concerned that there are many, even in this room, who might be saying, I'm just trusting that I'm better than the other guy, that I'm a good enough person. Some of you are trusting in your works. The gospel is we're trusting in Christ, His work on the cross. And there's so many who are caught up in this cultural Christianity, but good leaders, we reveal false professions of faith. Why? Because eternity's on the line. I'll tell you, if you could ever have two kids in the world that were great kids, it would have been the Wesley brothers from church history. Two guys, Charles Wesley and John Wesley, who sort of shook the world. In fact, as college students, they were on their college campus, and these two guys founded something called a holiness club, or they called themselves the Methodists. How many of you know about that? Some of you are from a Methodist background. My wife is from a Methodist background. The reason it gets that name is because they were from what's called a, a, a holiness club on their campus, and they gave strict attention to their methods. They assumed that by their methods, they could be holy. And so they gave strict attention to their discipline, to their early rising, to their meticulous study of Scripture. And they were trying to, to figure out a method for attaining holiness and right, being right with God. However, for those of you who know church history, this was fascinating. Both of these two guys, both of them, 
Both John and Charles would, would look back on their early years in ministry, founding the Methodist organization, and say, we were not truly saved. We were lost. Both of them, both of these guys have these, these radical conversion stories later on in life. In fact, let me just give you Charles. Charles went on a mission trip. He's not a, let me just lay it out for you. He's not a Christian, but he went on a mission trip, and he goes to, across the sea, he goes to Georgia. And while he's in Georgia, he's evangelizing settlers, he's evangelizing Indians, and, and his evangelism sounded a little bit like this. Do better. Be a good person. Follow the rules. You know, tuck your shirt in, comb your hair, whatever it is, right? And he's doing all that stuff, and he's just, he's basically telling them the message he has embraced of be a good person. And it didn't work. The mission trip was an utter failure. He came back to England depressed. Not a single convert came out of it. He was sick. He was empty. He was tired. He was broken. And he was telling them, try harder, do better, do more, be holy. But that message that he was giving was empty because he knew that he wasn't even living up to that message. Came home empty. And, and it was amazing. In God's kindness, God sent a leader to help the Wesley brothers. There was a guy named Peter Boland. Peter Boland was a Moravian missionary. And Peter Boland started preaching the true gospel to the Wesley brothers. And by the way, they both became Christians about three days apart. But Charles heard the gospel, consumed every word he recognized. But Peter Boland recognized that Wesley was lost. And he started his, this process of recognizing these guys saying, no, don't trust in your own goodness. Don't trust in your own methods. Don't trust in your own resources to become good enough to earn the favor of God and, and this mouse wheel of God's acceptance. No, 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 friends. It's all in Christ Jesus. And he preached the gospel to these two brothers. And that's when God saved them. And they both became Christians. Two days after becoming a Christian, this is the hymn that Charles wrote. And it's, And Can It Be? And he said this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's light. Can you imagine this? Here's what he's saying. I did ministry. I went on mission trips. I grew up in the church. But actually, because I was trusting in my own works, the truth is I was imprisoned by my own works. I was a slave. And then Peter Boland came preaching the true gospel. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. The lights came on. The truth was revealed. And my chains, these chains that I had been bearing, they, they fell off. My heart was free. I went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's what happens when someone is delivered. How did that happen? How did it happen that these two Wesley brothers came to saving faith? Boland, Peter Boland, was God's kind of leader who did the dirty job of watching, of helping these two young guys along and rescuing them and revealing a false profession. And beloved, you are God's ambassadors. You are going out into this world to be God's kind of leader. Now go be this for the world. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response. So he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth 
How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com live to find out more. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's word being sent out, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Hi friends, Pastor Matt here. I just want to invite you to Central Church here in Collierville. At Central Church, the Bible is central and the gospel is the foundation of every sermon we preach, every decision that we make. You know, every year I see more and more churches and more and more people moving away from the Bible, but here we're elevating the Word of God. That's why we study it verse by verse, and we hope that you'd come and hear the voice of God in the Word of God because that's the ultimate source of truth. You can worship with us at 9 o'clock or 11 a.m. every Sunday, online or in person. If you'd like to join us online, you can join us at centralchurch.com. Or if you have questions about Central, please email us at info at We can't wait to meet you. And if you join us in the chat, be sure and say hi. We look forward to getting to know you. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.